name is Sonia Lovell and I am obsessed with helping women navigate the magical, messy and, let's be honest, more hysterical moments of this thing called menopause. I'm a personal trainer and breast cancer survivor turned menopause coach. I help women understand what's going on, why and what they can do to navigate the menopausal transition. Gloss over the real talk? No way! Exhaustion, brain fog, loss of libido, loss of confidence and anxiety are just some of the topics that we'll chat about. Consider this a juicy happy hour with your new bestie and her friends. Settle in and get ready to learn and laugh. This is the Dare Menopause Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode one of Dear Menopause. My name is Sonia Lovell, and I am your host. And I thought that we would kick off the Dear Menopause podcast by me giving you a little bit of an intro about who I am, what my story is, what has driven me to create this podcast, and how I have huge hopes and dreams and visions to change the world for women that are going through the perimenopausal transitional phase. So a topic that for way too many years has been swept under the carpet and um, spoken about in hushed tones by our grandmothers and our mothers before us. So let me kick off by telling you exactly who I am and what brings me here today. So I live in Sydney, Australia. I am incredibly happily married to, gosh, um, my husband, who I have been with 32 years. Um, We have been together for an incredibly long time. And I'll be honest, don't think that that 32 years has been a walk in the park. It has had ups and downs and it is a roller coaster. Any woman that has been in a relationship or any man, any human that has been in a relationship for that many years will tell you that all relationships come with their good times and their bad times. And I'm going to share one of our bad times with you as well as a part of this story so that you can really get a picture of um, of our relationship. So I have two teenage, well, teenagers, two young men. Gosh, they're not teenagers anymore. I have two boys. Uh, they are, um, this year will be turning 19 and 22. And yes, they are both still living at home. <laughs> I love them dearly. But um, yeah, I think it's going to get to the point where I'll be leaving the house before they do. But that is the joys of living in Sydney. So where my story starts with you today is probably going, I'm going to take you back to when I was 40. So when I turned 40, I qualified as a personal trainer. I had been a stay-at-home mum pretty much for the years leading up to that. And I was ready to get back into the workforce as such. But I did not want to get a job. And I say job in air quotes. Um, I wanted to be the master of my own domain. I wanted to run my own business and I was a complete gym rat. So it was almost a bit of a no brainer for me to become a personal trainer and spend even more hours at the gym than I already was. So that was when I was 40. The other thing that I did when I was 40, which I'm incredibly proud of, was I traveled to Nepal and I trekked to Everest Base Camp. Now, there are 
heaps of people that have done that and I'm, you know, by no stretch is that a um, significant goal to have achieved. But what I'm the most proud of is the fact that I went by myself. So I'd set myself a goal back in my mid-30s to have been to Nepal by the time that I turned 40. And (laughs) I was reminded in about my 39th year that I actually hadn't achieved that as yet. So I decided that I was going to um, to meet this goal. Now, when I was 39, my eldest was nine and my youngest was probably around six or seven. So it wasn't possible for my husband and I to do this trip together. We needed, we were in a situation where we needed one of us to be at home as caretaker for our kids. So, you know, my first thought went to, hey, this will make an amazing girls trip. So I put this out to my incredible band of girlfriends. was like, hey, I've got this plan. We're going to go to Nepal. I think I might go to Everest Base Camp. Who's coming? And I literally got crickets back. I think I may have got a few comments along the lines of, oh, my God, I love the idea. But how about instead of Nepal, we go to Fiji and we lie by the pool and we drink cocktails? Now, yeah, that's that's where we were at in terms of <laughs> needing a break from kids, family um, and, you know, our day to day. So I couldn't sell anyone the dream of traveling with me to Nepal. So I was faced with the prospect of do I not go because I don't have anyone to go with or do I face a few fears? And one of them was the fact I'd never traveled overseas by myself other than at the age of 19, I think, when I moved from um, New Zealand to Australia. Other than that, I had never traveled overseas by myself. So I had to face the fear of that. I also had to face the fear that I was going on a trip that wasn't, you know, your stock standard lie by the pool and drink cocktails. It required um, a lot of preparation and quite a bit of research as well for me to find a company to travel with that I was comfortable with. So long story short, in February of 2010, I turned 40 in the May, I travelled to Nepal and joined a group of people that I met at the airport in Kathmandu for the first time ever and embarked on a three-week journey to Everest Base Camp. It was absolutely a highlight of my life and something I'm incredibly proud of doing. And it also the one of the other reasons I share the story with you is it gives you a little bit of insight into my personality, my resilience, and my ability to kick goals because I am hugely driven by setting goals and then achieving them. So at that same time, I qualified as a personal trainer came back from my trip to Nepal and started a business. So that now is about 12 years ago. That's where we were going with that side of the story. The next part of my story that I want to share with you, because it is a crucial part of my story and the part of my story that um, I was going to share that also gives you some insight into the bad times that um, my husband and I have been through within our marriage. In 2017, when I was 47 years old, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I found a lump in my breast during a self-exam in the shower. And I'll be completely honest with you, I ignored it for a couple of months and uh, was checking one morning a couple of months after I'd initially felt something that felt a little out of place and it had got bigger. And I was like, "Mm, okay, this uh, this isn't something I can ignore now. I need to go to see my GP. 
I went to my GP, she she checked it, she agreed that there was definitely a lump in my breast. However, she was so certain that it was nothing more than a cyst that we agreed I would need to go for a mammogram, but I was booked to go on holidays the next day, leaving the country with with my family for a week, that I'd do it when I got back. So we went off, had an amazing uh, family trip to, we, we went to Queenstown, New Zealand, and um, we came back. I went in and had my mammogram and there and then they told me that, no, it wasn't a cyst. It was a lump that required further investigation. A biopsy was taken that same day at that same appointment. And I then had to sit and wait for the results to come back. Now there was a public holiday. It was actually the Anzac Day public holiday. So this all happened around Easter. It was April, Easter Anzac Day. Um, So I had to actually wait about four days to get my results back. I was fine in the, the first few days after having the biopsy and and waiting for the results and um, made the appointment, follow-up appointment with my GP. But the day before my appointment with my GP, my husband actually said to me, I don't care what you say. I am coming to this appointment with you. I, I want to be there. It's really important that we're at this appointment together. And I actually had this overwhelming sense of gratitude to him because I, in my stoic, resilient way, was like, it's going to be fine. I'll pop along to the appointment and I'll tell him when I get home what the results will be. I'm so grateful for him for having the foresight to to know that he needed to be at that appointment with me because within seconds of sitting down, my GP, who had been my GP for probably about 17 years at that point, so she was someone that I knew really well, um, broke the news to us that I, in fact, did have breast cancer. And this started a journey that I often describe, and I hate the word journey when it comes to describing uh, what that period of time was like, but it was literally like somebody opened the carriage of a train that was stationary at a, at a station and popped me on it, closed the door, locked the door, didn't tell me where it was going, and the train literally just sped off from that station and I was locked on the train for the ride. It was a roller coaster of emotions. It was challenging for us as a couple. It was incredibly hard on my husband. And the short version is that I had had surgery to remove the lump and to, they also took out one of my sentinel nodes in my armpit and that same operation. And within a week of receiving my diagnosis, I was lucky in the respect that my, the results came back and that I was able to keep my breasts. Um, The lump that they removed, they were able to get the whole lump and there were no cancerous cells evident in the margins. Um, of my lump. So that was an absolute um, blessing. And But I did go on to have chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and for the four years since the end of my treatment, I have been taking tamoxifen, which is a, a treatment that ensures that the recurrence of a breast cancer is minimized. My cancer was not genetic. There was no family history. It was one of those incredibly random acts of nature that was driven by my hormones. It was being fueled by hormones. Um, Hence the treatment that I now take 
post-treatment um, to manage the suppression of those, those um, hormones. So that is my breast cancer story. As I said, that was in 2017. I'm recording this episode today. It's 2022. So I am actually coming up to this week will be the fifth year anniversary of my diagnosis. And although my physical treatment was pretty much all done and dusted within about nine to 10 months after diagnosis, the emotional healing takes a whole lot longer. And it has it took me a good, I'm going to say, two to three years post-diagnosis to feel that I was back to a place where I am closer to being the me that I was before my cancer than I was immediately after my diagnosis. So it is a very long journey. Again, I hate that word, but it is a very long period of time from diagnosis to feeling like you are back to a semblance of who you were pre breast cancer. Now, the other thing that happened for me during those um, those years was that I was I entered what they call surgical or induced menopause as a result of the chemotherapy. So my my oncologist sat me down and explained in the very beginning that due to my age being so close to the natural age of menopause for women, which in Australia and New Zealand is about 51 years of age, I was 47 at the time, the closer that I was to that age, the more likely it was that I would experience menopause as a result of chemotherapy. And he was 100% right. I had my last natural period in the weeks in between my surgery and my first chemo treatment, and I have never had a period since. It didn't dawn on me at the time that it was going to be so traumatic going through an induced or surgical menopause. I will be honest when my oncologist said to me, oh, and you'll probably go through menopause. And he said it very matter-of-factly, I kind of probably had a little bit of a woohoo moment. Yay me, I'm not going to have to go through all of the side effects and symptoms and horrendous stories that I've heard from other women. Lucky me. <laughs> little did I know that going through an unnatural menopause is actually far worse than going through a natural menopause because it's a little bit like you get run over by the menopause bus. So all of my symptoms were magnified. So that is my story in terms of everything that I've gone through and experienced that has brought me to where I am today and this podcast. In those couple of years after feeling that I had healed physically and emotionally from my breast cancer, uh, I decided it was time to go back to work and I really had to think long and hard about what it was that I wanted to do. I decided to go back to personal training, but I was very, very specific about who I wanted to work with. And I decided to only go back and work with women and predominantly women in their 40s plus, because I really recognized this need to support women through their menopausal transitional years. Having experienced what I experienced, having had conversations with friends and um, other cancer survivors about menopause and whether it was natural or unnatural, it became so evident to me that this was a conversation that just wasn't being had enough. 
So I launched my um, my gym and I opened my doors just to women and I was blown away by how many women wanted to train with me. I'll be honest, I went through a whole heap of self-doubt about who would want to train with a personal trainer that was now in her 50s, that did not look trim, taut and terrific like she did when she was in her 40s and before breast cancer. But I was I was really pleasantly blown away by the response to the women that came and trained with me. And um, the other thing that was a real eye-opener for me was the desire for these women to have conversations with each other around their sex lives, around their relationships, around their health, around the impact that that was having on their careers and their ability to function day to day. And from those conversations and the realizations that I was having, a seed was planted to create a business where I could support women through perimenopause and menopause and um, more specifically that menopausal transitional period. So here we are today. I have launched a business called Stella Women, which has been designed specifically to help perimenopausal women know what's happening to them, why it's happening, and what they can do to support themselves through this period of their life. And from that, this podcast was born as well. So Dear Menopause is a conversational, educational podcast where I plan to bring you weekly conversations between myself and other women and myself and experts in the field. I have some incredible people lined up to bring you all sorts of information. You can expect to hear us talking about cancer experiences, early menopause, perimenopause, your loss of libido. We're going to talk about vaginal health and we're going to talk about anything and everything so that nothing can be left swept under the rug so that we as women can stand shoulder to shoulder and support each other through what for some not all, but for some can be an incredibly difficult and challenging time. So I hope that you enjoy the stories that I bring you, the guests that I'm able to get on the other side of this microphone. And I really hope that you find something to connect with and something that really resonates with you as a woman. As I said, my name is Sonia Lovell, and I look forward to being in your ears once a week with the Dear Menopause podcast. Thank you for listening today. I am so grateful to have these conversations with incredible women and experts, and I'm grateful that you chose to hit play on this episode of Dear Menopause. If you have a minute of time today, please leave a rating or a review. I would love to hear from you because you are my biggest driver for doing this work. If this chat went way too fast for you and you want more, head over to stellawomen.com.au slash podcast for the show notes. And while you're there, take my midlife quiz to see why it feels like midlife is messing with your head.